Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, we shared with you the gospel according to Isaiah. In just a minute, we're going to read the gospel according to Luke. But there's also a gospel according to J.R.R. Tolkien. From Samwise Gange, you may know this in the book, The Lord of the Rings, uh, Sam, he sees Gandalf, and see, Gandalf had died. He had appeared to die. He disappeared. And Samwise Gange looks at Gandalf, and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, and in fact, I thought I was dead. And he ends by saying, are all things sad going to become untrue? You know, Jesus in his resurrection, it states that all things broken are going to be restored. All things lost are going to be returned. All things dreamed are going to be experienced. In the gospel, the gospel has a greater story of hope than any other message we could possibly imagine. I hope you'll grab a Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at this story in Luke 24 at the end of the chapter in verses 36 through 49. You know, before we read it, let me tell you a little bit about Luke 24. It actually, the entire chapter is one day in the story of the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you'll read it today. The beginning of Luke 24 is the story of the empty tomb. The middle of Luke 24 is when Jesus appears to some of his disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. And what we're gonna read now in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 and following is actually at the end of Easter Sunday. Jesus come and he appears to his disciples and he's going to teach them. He's been teaching them for years, and yet he's going at the end of uh, his resurrection to teach them about the truth of who he is and what the Old Testament said of him. And we're going to discover from this passage three things. The first is the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is a a paradigm, if you can grasp this, paradigm-shifting event. It changes everything. Second, the resurrection helps us and really is the key to understanding the entire scripture. And then finally, we're gonna discover third, that in the resurrection, we find the greatest message of hope, a message of hope that I would assume today we desperately need. So let's jump in. If you'll join with me, Luke chapter 24, let's pick it up in verse 36. This is the word of the Lord. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds 
to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray. Father, I thank you on this Easter Sunday as, as we gather, and it's, it's a space and time, Father, that we will not soon forget. An Easter gathering in our own homes and certainly with those that we love and yet missing the body of Christ. And Father, I pray this Sunday that as many across the globe are gathering under very similar circumstances, there's a sense in which the body of Christ is truly unified uh, around this, this difficulty in life. But would we more so be unified around the hope that is in you and the hope that you have sent into the world through Jesus Christ. Father, meet us here. May this word go out with power and with life. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the first idea is that the resurrection changes everything. If you'll jump back, let's look at verse 41. And in verse 41, it says, and while they still disbelieved. Now that makes a lot of sense to me. I want you to understand, you may not know this, that when it was the first Easter Sunday, there were no disciples at the tomb counting down 10, nine, can't wait for it, eight, seven, six. You see, none of the disciples believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead because the truth is dead men don't rise. And in this story, what we discover is as Jesus appeared, the disciples are confused. They're wondering, who is this? And even though they recognize him, their mind is in a sense playing tricks on them. They're wondering, is this truly him? And so it says, even though he was there, they disbelieved. They disbelieved for joy and were marveled. And, and he said to them, have you anything to eat? Now, why is he saying that? Well, it's not because he's hungry. It's because they doubt that he is there and he's giving them evidence. Listen, I'm with you. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And it says that he ate it. Now, it's very common today to hear, and certainly on television documentaries, that these are wonderful stories. These are the teachings of Jesus, they're great, but they're just simply stories. They're stories that have symbolic meanings. You may have heard that. They're just myths, legends. And from these stories, maybe we learn things like, even though it gets real dark, there is the dawn, and we take these symbolic truths and we apply them to our lives. Well, if that's true, what what is Luke teaching us when it comes to this piece of fish? Is this simply a symbolic meaning? Are we supposed to take something from this? No, see, Luke is not simply telling us a story. He's telling us the account of eyewitnesses, the account of what happened. The disciples were having difficulty believing and the details that Luke provides are the details of literally what happened. That this isn't symbolizing anything, instead, Luke is describing what Jesus did and what the disciples experienced. That the resurrection is, as Christians believe, a historic event. That Jesus lived and he died and he rose again in time and space and history. And because it's a historic event, it has an implication 
on our lives. It changes everything. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he pointed to the magnitude of the resurrection and he said this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Paul is saying, listen, if Christ hasn't been raised in human history, we might as well go home. We might as well sleep in on Sunday mornings. None of this is worth it. The New Testament approaches the resurrection of Jesus as a historic event, an event that shifts and impacts all of human history. The resurrection changes everything. Now, why is that? Because the fact is all historic events change human history. If someone says to me, you know, I don't believe that 9-11 happened. Well, they can choose to believe that, but the facts are, the facts remain. And the facts often in history are inconvenient, but to ignore them, to ignore them is foolish. The fact of the resurrection is one that Christian claim, Christians claim shatters our paradigms. So for example, here's a worldview that many people hold to, that this life is all that there is. And beyond this life, there is nothing. So you might as well live it up today for tomorrow we die. That's the end of the story. Well, if the resurrection has happened in human history, it says that that narrative is not true. God does exist and God has sent his son into the world and through the resurrection, here is a point in history we can point to where something has happened that says, no, there is more to life than simply dust. You know, there's others that I talk to and I sympathize with them because I think I've been there myself and they will say, you know, I can't be a Christian because there's many things in the Bible I just don't uh, frankly agree with. Or, or maybe they'll say it this way, I don't like certain passages in scripture. And so because of that, I can't believe it. And I want you to understand as a Christian, as a pastor, I'm not a Christian because I read the Bible and I just said, you know what? This fits with every single thing that I believe I'm gonna buy into it. No, the reason I believe in scripture is because I believe in the resurrection. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, it gives authority to what the Bible says, even though my feelings say, I don't like this. So for example, there's a command that Jesus uh, gave us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And I'll be real honest with you. When I'm with somebody who has hurt me or I'm experiencing some kind of loss, somebody has taken something from me, in that moment, that command is weighty and I'll promise you, I don't like it. I don't wanna love my enemies. I don't wanna pray for those who, pray. I wanna be selfish. I wanna tell people exactly how I feel. That command pushes against me, but the reason that I obey it is not because I like it. And to be honest with you, sometimes not even because I agree with it. I obey it because I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and his commands and the commands of scripture lead to human flourishing. See, the claim of the Christian faith is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a paradigm shifting event. And if we're not willing to take what we believe and simply place it alongside the resurrection of Jesus and ask the question, does this make sense? Does what I believe make sense out of what Jesus Christ has done? See, the resurrection, it changes everything. Now, second, it not only changes everything, but I want you to understand that the resurrection is really the key to understanding the scriptures. That's what we see in this story. If you jump back in 
in verse 44, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, Jesus had been teaching the Old Testament to his disciples for some three and a half years. And yet Luke says, after the resurrection, something changed. In a sense, uh, their minds were open. It began to click because see the resurrection begins to make sense out of the entire message of the Bible. Now, let me give an example of this. We think of the apostle Paul. Now, before he was known as the apostle Paul, he was the, he was Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish scholar, someone who had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew the Psalms that Jesus referenced the prophets. And yet when he heard the message about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, Paul thought it was foolish. In fact, Paul thought it was evil, it was ignorant, it was, it was false. Now, why did he believe that? Well, there's a lot of prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And see, the Messiah, this word, it means the anointed one. So the Messiah is the one that God is with. The Messiah is the one that's going to come. God's going to be with him. He's going to make things right. And therefore, God's going to bless him and God's going to be with him. And when he heard the story about Jesus, well, Jesus came from the wrong neighborhoods. (laughs) Jesus came. He was born in Bethlehem. He came from Nazareth. This is not where a strong, kingly Messiah would show up. And the people that followed him were not the strong. They were the broken, the sinful, the weak. Jesus was rejected, Jesus was condemned, he was arrested, he was crucified. Paul looked at that and said, God was not with him. God had abandoned him. There was nothing in Jesus that shows that God loved him. In fact, his life was one of humility and suffering. Paul looked at Jesus and his life didn't make sense. And in fact, Jesus himself said from the cross in Matthew 26, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul is as a Pharisee, as a scholar in the Old Testament, looks at that and says, God would not forsake the Messiah. Now, what changed that caused Paul to write over half of the New Testament? What changed is in Acts chapter nine, Paul encountered the risen Christ himself. On the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up and Paul says, you know, who are you? And Jesus says, Paul, it's I, it's the one you've been persecuting. See, in that moment, the resurrection changed everything and Paul believed. Now, Paul disappears for 14 years because he's, listen, you don't, you don't believe something for a while and then suddenly change. No, he, he believed in Jesus, but he had to wrestle and he had to think. See, Paul knew that book of Isaiah that we quoted earlier. See, in Isaiah, Isaiah describes two types of people. The first part of Isaiah, he describes the Messiah, and he describes the Messiah as this this kingly ruler, this king that would come in and set things right and make things right. See, Paul understood that. He loved that image of God. But see, in the second half of Isaiah, Isaiah describes this suffering servant, the one who would come and absorb the brokenness of Israel and through his sacrifice, Israel would be restored in their relationship with God. And see in this time after experiencing Jesus, Paul started to realize, wait a minute, the kingly Messiah and the suffering servant, they're the same person. 
that the way that Jesus came in and displayed his power was through humility. He didn't come into the world with strength. He came into the world with weakness to gather the weak, those that know they need grace and salvation. And they were the ones that gladly followed him. The Bible started to line up and make sense. And see, then also Paul had to wrestle with all the sacrificial laws, all that stuff in Leviticus and those passages that describe the sacrifices, the temple, the high priest. What did that have to do with Jesus? And he began to realize that all of these were but shadows pointing to the ultimate coming and reality, which is Jesus. When you look at a shadow, you know the shadow is not the thing itself, but rather it's, it's a casting of the object on the ground. And likewise, the sacrifices, the temple, all of that was a picture of the one who is to come, who was called, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus is the ultimate high priest. For Paul himself says of him, he is the fullness of God in human form. He is the high priest who leads us ultimately into the presence of God. He is the temple, he is the high priest, he is the sacrifice. See, Paul, as he's thinking about Jesus and the resurrection, the Old Testament begins to fall in place. The Old Testament begins to make sense. But there was one final problem for Paul and it's this word grace. Because again, Paul's concept of the Messiah was the Messiah would come in strength and he would gather the strong. And understand the strong are those who are faithful, the strong are the religious, the strong are the moral, the strong are the good. And he believed that when the Messiah showed up, all the strong would gather and because they did the right things, they would be rewarded with salvation. Well, here comes Jesus, the Messiah, and yet he demonstrates his kingly reign and rule through humility and through sacrifice. And instead of gathering the strong, what you see in the gospel stories is he's gathering the weak. He's come not to bring the righteous, but the broken, the sinful. He is the physician who comes to the sick and heals them. And Paul sees the weak. He sees the broken. And he writes words like this, for it is, is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God, not as a result of works that none of us can boast. That the salvation Jesus came to bring is not by our efforts. It's by the effort that God has done in sending his son, taking our place on the cross and through faith in him in the resurrection, giving us newness of life so that we can have eternal life, which is to know God. You see, when you start to understand the resurrection, all the Old Testament begins to make sense because the resurrection changes everything. But the resurrection is also the key to understanding the Old Testament. And then finally, I wanna turn to this message of hope. I think it's what we need today. The story of the resurrection is a message of ultimate hope. Hey, turn with me again in Luke 24 in verse 45. And it says, and then he opened their minds again to understand the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says to his disciples who were who had just seen him rise from the dead, you are my witnesses, meaning I want you to go out and to share with the world this, this message of hope. 
Now, why is the gospel a message of hope? Just quickly, three things. Because the future is certain. The future is certain because the future is personal and the future is more glorious than we could possibly imagine. The resurrection shows us about the future because hope is always about the future. When you say, I hope for something, you're saying, I hope tomorrow is gonna be better than today, right? I hope this is gonna happen. Well, hope is focused on the future. And because the resurrection has happened in human history, we have a certain hope, but understand it's a personal hope. And then finally, it's a hope of unimaginable wonder and glory. Let, let me show you this just real quick. First of all, it's a, a hope that is certain. What do we mean by saying that this hope is certain? Well, it's certain in this sense. Again, there are many worldviews that say that this world is all there is. Or, you know, once we die, we die and that's it and there's nothing left. And yet people will also say in that, that worldview, there's nothing to fear. Even though life doesn't have meaning, there's nothing to fear. The, the death is just natural. It's just what's going to happen. And yet the Bible says that that's not true. Life does have meaning and life does have purpose. And the future that is coming is, is a true reality of existence with God. For in human history, human history can often be short. It can be difficult. I think it's only in the West that we've bought onto this fallacy that life is always gonna get better. It's always gonna progress towards the better. Rather, I think for humans across the globe and certainly in human history, life has been difficult. But if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he has risen from the dead, you know that you are not dust, but you're created in his image and you have value. And the future is a certain future. Now, it's a certain future because the resurrection guarantees what is yet to come. Jesus, in a sense, is like a trailer. <laughs> He's a preview of coming attractions. He shows us what life is going to look like when we trust in him and believe in him. And the resurrection is that guarantee that I'm going to share in that reality. Now, I'm gonna share in that reality through faith and trust in what Christ has done. In a sense, Paul says the resurrection's like a receipt. It guarantees that my debt has been paid and my future, it's certain. I can trust it. Not because of what I have done, but again, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But here's a beautiful picture. It's not only certain. This is where Christianity is absolutely unique. It says that our future is a personal future. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, all religions teach some kind of paradise will exist after life. Whether that paradise is called the all soul, or that, that paradise is a consolation for this life. All religions teach there is, in a sense, a life to come. And so in what ways is Christianity unique from those descriptions? Well, here's what Christianity says. The thing we most long for, we will always have. See, many religions teach that what is to come, like the all soul, you're gonna continue, but not you. There's a piece of you that goes on. Maybe we could describe it, some say the circle of life, right? Something of you is going to continue, but it's not you personally. It's, it's not who you are. The scripture says, the Bible, Jesus teaches that what we most long for and what we most want will continue into eternity. Now, what is it that we most long for? I would suggest what we most long for is to be loved and to love. Now, 
to be loved and to love, we have to be a person. For persons love and persons can be love. And the resurrection says that is the future we will experience. Now, where does it say that? Watch this in verse 38. And Jesus with his disciples said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Hey, look at me. He's saying, it's me. It's not a figment of me. I'm not wrapped up in the all soul or in the force. No, it's literally I am with you. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus is saying, I am with you. And guys, when you trust in me, this is a preview of what the future looks like. Heaven is not harps and clouds and wings. Now, heaven is the power of God come back to earth to restore everything that is broken. Like Sam said, all things sad becoming untrue, knowing and being known. Not us simply stopping and going on to something completely different, but this world, this life renewed and restored in relationship with God and relationship with man. And yet no more crying, no more pain, for the old things have passed away. There is a personal, intimate future to come. Not one that's disconnected from the previous life, but one that is a continuation of the previous life and yet made right through what Christ has done. There is a certain personal future. And understand this personal future is one of magnificent, magnificent hope. Again, other religions will say that will go on and live forever in eternity. And yet when you look at the traditions and what they teach, they're saying that the future is a consolation for this life. And by consolation, that means if we go through suffering today, hey, it's okay, uh, just kind of get through it because there's something better that is to come. And the better that is to come is going to be worth it by going through this life and getting there. Well, see, understand the New Testament doesn't say that heaven's a consolation. It's not a, a gift for enduring life now that if you just kind of grin and bear it, you make it through, then something good's gonna happen. No, the resurrection says the great hope that the life we've always wanted will be there. The life that we were designed for, the life that maybe we missed out in this life. Maybe there's things we've messed up in this life. Maybe we've ruined relationships. Maybe we missed out on opportunities. Maybe we, we never experienced the love that we'd hope we would have. The story of the resurrection is the life that God designed us for, the life that deep down all of us long for and all of us run out into the world for things and chase after them, hoping they will give us, that life will be there for us and it will be a continuation of this life but with the freedom and the fullness that comes from knowing God and a restoration that all things that were broken have become untrue. The resurrection is true and the future is not a consolation. It's not a gift for enduring this life, no, but the restoration of what we had in this life and what we always hoped we would have. What do we hope we would have is to be loved and to love to be in relationship with each other and to relationship with God and all things broken being made whole. See, the story of the gospel is that we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And that should lead us to humility, not feeling that we are better than others because of what we have or our color, our creed, or even our beliefs, but rather recognizing that all of us are in need of the grace of God. It should lead human beings to be incredibly humble when it comes to what we believe and how we live. 
But here's the opposite side of the gospel. Not only are we so sinful that Christ had to die. Listen, here's the good news. We are so loved. We were so cherished that he was willing to take upon himself. Though he was the king of glory and the creator of the universe, he was willing to take upon himself my rebellion and brokenness so that through him, I might be loved and I might be able to love, not just in this life, but for eternity. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the gospel that through Christ, we can have forgiveness. We can have an eternal future and not just one disconnected from life, but a continuation of life in the healing, the wholeness of God's power come into the world to heal the new heavens and the new earth. This is the promise of scripture. And I'll tell you, it's more wonderful than I can possibly describe in just this 25 minutes. I encourage you this week to take these ideas that the resurrection changes everything that the resurrection is key to understanding the Old Testament and that the resurrection is a message of hope and begin to allow the truth of those ideas. If you've never heard them, maybe to jump into them, to study them, to deepen your understanding of them and to allow the message of the gospel. He is no longer here. He has risen just as he said, to become not a message, but life and power through faith in those that trust in him. Hey, I wanna pray for you, just a minute. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful story of the gospel. I thank you, Father, that the message of the gospel, the, the image that Christianity provides us of God is one that, that we ourselves wouldn't, we couldn't create. It's, it's an image of God that is, is so majestic and wonderful that Jesus, you came in and you shocked us through your grace, not just through your power and majesty and the world that you created, but you showed up in the smallest of ways, gathering in the least of people and using them to transform the world through your crucifixion, through weakness. You changed the world and the resurrection and the power of newness of life came to a people who should have, the Jews, rejected it. And yet, because of the resurrection power, it brought life and transformed the globe. And today, Father, 2,000 years later, we're hearing that message. As we sit now at the ends of the earth, we've heard the gospel and that gospel can bring life. And so, Father, I pray for those that have never cried out, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I come with nothing in my hands, only to the cross I cling. Father, accept me through the forgiveness of Christ on the cross and give me, Father, through the resurrection of Jesus, newness of life and a hope, a hope that transcends just my desires and needs, but a hope that transforms the world brings hope to the poor and the broken and the downcast and the lost and the least and the lonely for Jesus. That's where you showed up and that's where the church is to live. Help us, Father, now to take that message out of hope and to bring that power and love to this community. Thank you, Father, for what you've done and help us this day to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.